Hello, church. It is Mark here, and I am pumped for church. I am pumped for Sunday. But what I'm also excited about is next Sunday is Homecoming Sunday. We are going to be meeting again. And we've got limited spaces, so we want to ask you to watch out. We're going to be doing registrations from Tuesday. We're having meetings in Tableview in the morning, meeting at night, and meetings at the city, two in the afternoon and evening. All that will be on social media. We'd love to have you register. We'd love to have you there. It's going to be a special Sunday. It's going to be fun. But we are pushing forward and meeting together, and we're so, so, so excited. We cannot wait to worship together. I do realize some are going to prefer to wait and hold for a while, which is great. Continue to watch online. We'll continue to serve you with online meetings, and that will be live. The online meeting at Hopper State will be a live meeting, and then the meeting will be available through out the day. All PPE protocols will be followed. We're going to make sure we serve our city, serve our community, and reach in this way. And the most exciting thing is we're actually launching a new campus. We're launching Life Changes on the Line. Now, I don't know if that's what we're calling it, but we're going with it for right now, where we will be meeting and continuing to meet, continuing to reach our world and serve those who need online facilities to join in church on Sundays while still gathering in our congregations and our campuses. So thank you. Thank you for journeying this journey with us. It continues. We're still in lockdown. We're still navigating level two. So make sure we operate with wisdom. But kids are welcome. Everyone's welcome. Bring your mask. You have to have your mask to enter. There will be protocols like registering online so we can limit the numbers in each of the spaces. But we're excited and we cannot wait to see you at Homecoming Sunday. So... Today, I have the privilege of preaching part number four. How good was my brother Wayne last week? I mean, so good looking on the camera too, but really, really good preaching. I'm really excited to preach about this part. The Lord be gracious to you. As we look at this 3,000-year-old prayer that God gave to this people who were exiles, navigating a desert journey for 40 years, they were a challenge. How do I know they were a challenge? Well, in Exodus 32, God describes them as a stiff-necked people. And he actually says to Moses, you're stiff-necked people. God's going, hey, these are my guys. But God chooses to bless a people he called stiff-necked. Now, in our world, we don't know what that means. But in their world, in those worlds where you were driving oxen in fields to sow seeds and plow the land, They would describe an ox who couldn't be led, an obstinate, um, difficult, a stubborn ox. They would describe it as a stiff-necked ox. So when God describes his people as a stiff-necked people, he's using that image which they would have got and they would have gone, wow. And yet God still decides to bless him. God still decides to be gracious to them, even though they were the ones who, while Moses was up receiving from God the promises, the covenantal promises he was giving to this chosen people, they were down melting their earrings and getting the daughters and the sons. I notice not the main guys, it says your wives, it says this, take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. I realize not Aaron's earrings. And it's, it's an amazing thing. They melt them down. They make idols. And then they create an altar. And then they sacrifice to these idols while Moses is coming down because they've lost trust in God. And it says God's anger rose up and he was going to come and judge them in that moment. But Moses appeals to them. And it says this most amazing thing in verse 11 of Exodus 32, but Moses sought favor of the Lord his God. 
It's an incredible thing, favor. And when we're speaking of graciousness and the gracious hand of God be upon us, the gracious love of God, we're saying, God, would your favor be upon us? So maybe you hear that story and go, well, I'm not stiff-necked. Really? Now, let's get real. Really? I know there's been many times in my walk with God where I've been and could have been described, although no one uses that language anymore, but stubborn. Let's use that word. Or obstinate or unable to be led where the word conflicts with my desires, my emotions. And how often do we know that the moment your child looks back at you and go, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to listen to you. And they ignore you. That's the moment you choose to bless them, right? No. Well, that's the moment God chose to bless his children. These people, the Israelites. So as we go into this text and this scripture, can I pray for us this morning? Today. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we come before you. We just ask for your presence wherever people are, whether they're gathering in life groups, whether they're sitting at home with their family or on their own. I pray, Spirit of God, would you be with each and every one. And I pray, would you take off some blinkers? Would you strip away some pride? Would you do all that you need to do in me and in every person watching today? As I know it is your desire to bless your people. Let your grace be upon them, I pray. Amen. So this statement, the Lord bless you. Bless is the most common Old Testament. It's, it's mentioned 415 times in the Old Testament. Bless. It implies life and health and prosperity. And in Ephesians, we see, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It says, he has blessed us. It's already done. If you're in Jesus, if you received his grace. But today, I want to jump into part number four of this incredible 3,000-year-old blessing that God pours over these stiff-necked exiles, not stiff-necked, stiff-necked exiles. And today, I want to speak about hashtag, be gracious, because it says, the Lord, be gracious to you. Always wanted to be described as gracious when I was a sportsman. I thought if I could just be described, like, you know, Cheslin Colby on a rugby field, he's running, his legs, everything's moving. He looks like he's got time and space. There's Goliaths all around him, but he's just running. And you go, wow, he runs graciously. That could be used for him. When I was on a rugby field, I looked more like a cat running down the N2 highway in traffic, just dodging, trying not get hit and survive this moment. That was my testimony of rugby. What about golf? I love watching golf. There's some golfers, I, I, maybe you don't know him, but there's an Australian guy named Adam Scott. When he picks up a golf club, it looks like an orchestra kind of conductor orchestrating something beautiful. And he swings it so smooth and effortless. It's gracious. Although I was playing golf one day with my mates and it was the first time he'd seen me swing. And after my very first shot on the very first hole, he said, you look like an angry dwarf. I'm not sure how to take that, but I know it's nothing to do with graciousness. And you understand, or what about parenting? I wish there was more times I could be described as gracious in parenting. And there are moments, last week there was a moment you wouldn't have described me as gracious. We've had very healthy kids for the whole of lockdown, which has been amazing. Until last week, Judah, something got in his stomach and he said, I don't feel so well. So it had been a long day. We'd been looking after the kids. He'd been pushing hard, not really listening to don't eat that or drink that. And so we pursued and we said, okay, go lie down in the spare room. Take a bucket. Look after yourself, please. Just, and, and Judah, let me just be honest. He's like, 
The bravest kid I know when you put him on a sports field, when you put him with the mates, but give him a tummy bug, give him flu, give him anything. He falls apart. It's like the whole world comes down. And I am not gracious with that. I, I suck it up. I move on. I'm a bit different. And, and so my son decides to go to the spare room. He doesn't get the bucket. He doesn't listen to anything we say. And we just hear that sound. That sound every parent knows. Can you testify? Put your hand up. You know that sound. It's more of a whoo. And next minute there is vomits, cues, vomits everywhere, all over the spare bedroom. Um, and I, I don't go, sorry, my boy. Are you okay? Can I get you something? I'm like, what? You vomited all over the room. I told you to get a bucket. Meanwhile, my very gracious wife goes and starts to love him. I'm in that moment. I'm going, you're preaching on part four of the blessing next week. Nailed it, Father. But three things about this blessing. Be gracious to you. The first one is be gracious is an action. And I love it. In Exodus 34, um, that says the tablets are replaced and, and the Lord is descending and he's speaking to Moses. And this is how God reveals himself in Exodus 34. Then the Lord passed in front of Moses and called out, the Lord. Imagine calling yourself like that. You arrive, Mark. But God says, the Lord, the Lord God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and compassion. Uh, sorry, abounding in love devotion and truth, maintaining loving devotion to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. So this compassionate, that's a word, rachum, it's, it's a feeling word. It's, it's compassion that wells up when you walk past someone. It's compassion that stirs up in your heart. It's compassion that God has for his feeling. It's a feeling word. Compassionate is always partnered with this word gracious, which is kind of more like hanum, which is to show favor. And these two words are always partnered together. It's incredible, but those are the two first words. When God is revealing himself in Hebrew culture and way would tell you that anything mentioned first would be of first importance. In first importance, God says, the Lord, the Lord God is compassionate and gracious. It's an incredible thing. And this word gracious means to bend down or to stoop in kindness to an inferior to favor, to bestow, to have mercy upon. And gracia means this favor of God. It's, it's the image of someone bigger, someone mightier, someone who is able to make a change, reaching into a circumstance, a situation, and bringing help where help was needed. I love it. God speaks. And, and one of the examples that's given in this word, chanum, is used in gracia. It says in Exodus 22, it's used, and you realize it's an action word, says, if you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering. It is his garment for, the, for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will, it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. God's saying, I am gracious because I am gracious. I'm calling you to be gracious. And to be gracious is an action. And in this context, that action is don't charge interest. And, and, and when you lend something, don't take it away from him. See, those were the days of debt and interest and people taking everything, even your family, into slavery. And God says, well, graciousness is an action. And when God says, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord be gracious to you, 
He's saying there's an action that follows this. It's incredible. I want to say that it doesn't just stop there. And it's not about, well, most of us struggle well, because of, I deserve it. And so we get stumped. We say, well, I'm not sure why should God be gracious to me? Well, you don't deserve it, so settle it. But you deserve it because of Jesus, and Jesus has done it. You haven't done it, but Jesus did it. And because of that, we get his graciousness. Secondly, graciousness and God's be gracious to you has a flow. And there's this motif throughout the Bible and throughout the gospel of God and operating in a river that flows. And this river flows and gets stronger and stronger and stronger. There's a flow in the graciousness of God and a flow to a destination. And you know who the destination is? You. The Lord be gracious to the flow. You, the destination. Oh, but I, I don't deserve it. No, again, we don't deserve it. That's the gospel. That's what's beautiful about this. And like a parent, God comes to his kids when we need help. He shows favor when we don't deserve it. He keeps reaching out and reaching into our lives and bringing this flow and this action of blessing, and it lands in our lives. That's what it means to receive the graciousness of God. But I want to mention three ways in which God is gracious to us. And I love it. Number one, God is gracious in my sin. Just breathe. I'll show you. Number two, God is gracious in my sonship. And number three, God is gracious in my supply. He wants to be gracious. Number one, gracious in my sin. Well, how can that even be, God, Mark? God is holy and righteous, 100%. But that's why the whole gospel doesn't rest on the Ten Commandments, doesn't rest on the 600, 700 laws. It rests on Jesus. It rests on the promise that says, for he was clothed with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Uh, I love this. That's what God is. I love this Exodus 34 and where God reveals himself. He says this amazing thing. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression and sin. See, it's an incredible thing. God speaks this to a people who created an idol and caused chaos and essentially insulted the covenantal love of God. And God still chose to declare blessing and graciousness over them. It's astonishing that God decides to continue his partnership. I want to present some, how these quotes about the grace of God. A.W. Tozer, grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines Him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. It is a self-existent principle inherent in the divine nature and appears to us as a self-caused propensity to pity the wretched, spare the guilty, welcome the outcast, and bring into favor those who were before under just disappropriation. Terry Bridges puts it this way, before we can learn the sufficiency of God's grace, we must learn the insufficiency of ourselves. The more we see our sinfulness, the more we appreciate grace in its basic meaning of God's undeserved favor. John Piper says, grace is the pleasure of God to magnify the worth of God by giving sinners the right and power to delight in God without obscuring the glory of God. So what role, what action does Jesus take in his graciousness in our sin? Well, 
The Bible tells us he's the advocate for sinners. He acts as our advocate. 1 John 2 verse 1 and 2, my little children, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the expiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Three simple points from that incredible, incredible scripture. Number one, don't sin. Oh, Mark, easy to say. I know, because the Bible says everyone sins and falls short. But sin is incredibly, incredibly serious. It insults the suffering of Christ. It secondly suggests that we've taken on the enemy's sinful nature to ourselves rather than the nature of our Father in heaven. It jeopardizes our assurance in the salvation God has for us. And there are massive effects here on this earth and beyond and into other lives when we sin. So there's this mandate and this command, don't sin. But secondly, number two, don't despair when you do sin. Don't get so caught up in your sin and give so much power to sin in your life that it holds you down and restrains you forever from walking in the more of what God has for you. See, it means that God, it says that Christ is the propitiation for our sin. It means, yes, our sin is valid. There's a cost and a sacrifice required. And Jesus said, I'm here. I'm not just the advocate. I'm going to pay every fee and every penalty. I'm going to defend them and I'm going to take the sentence upon them. I've already taken the sentence upon them. That should have been upon them, I've taken upon myself. And number three, God has got us. I, I love it. It says this, that, that he's got, he didn't just die for me and he just for the believer and for my little sin story. Oh, I'm forgiven, but I'm not sure God could forgive you. I'm not sure he could forgive your story. You know, mine wasn't that bad. I, I really wasn't that bad. No, I'm forgiven. Well, Romans 4, verse 7 and 8, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed. Oh, yes, that's the name of our series. Blessed are those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. What about Romans 5? The law was bought, brought so in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increases, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've got to get this, church. We've got, got to get this. God is gracious in my sin. He becomes my advocate. He is also my propitiation, and I get his robe of righteousness. And because of that, I can stand. And that leads me into point number two. He is gracious in my sonship. He's gracious in my sonship. And Ephesians 1 verse 4 puts it this way. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his presence. In love, he predestined us for adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the beloved one. I get taken from being an orphan with no future and no inheritance and no story, and I get pulled into a family story. I get called a son or a daughter of the living God, and he brings me life and freedom, and it's all because of Jesus. How good is that? Amazing thing, and I was watching John, Comer, John Mark Comer, and he said that most other gods through history, when you look at them as people presented and rose up their gods and goddesses, they were always presented as these vicious 
mean-spirited mean gods who really people had to be on the edge. And every time you messed up, there was a sacrifice to be made. There's the myth, the story, the history of, of Troy, the battle of Troy, and the Greek king Agamemnon, and how he worshipped the goddess Artemis. And Artemis is mentioned in Acts chapter 19. And it's all going on in Ephesus and Ephesians at that time. And it says that he was attacking and the battle of Troy was coming and his ships were on the sea and the wind just died. Maybe you've seen the movie, maybe you know the story, the myth, the legend. But this Artemis, his God said, I will bring wind to you and I will move your ships forward into battle. If you do one thing for me, and he's like, yes, yes, you must take the life of your child. And Agamemnon so worshipped this vicious goddess that he took the life of his child as the story goes. The wind began to blow and the ships moved forward. But everywhere you see gods and goddesses presented as ones who demand the sacrifice. But how does God show himself in graciousness? From the beginning, Adam and Eve sinned. God says, I'll go with you. I'll cover you. I'll protect you. All the way to the Exodus, God says, I'll provide for you. I'll keep you. I'll hold you. I'll present myself to us. And I love the fact that one of the greatest representations of God the Father is Luke 15, where the son goes off and squanders all the wealth the father had earned so hard for, all the freedom and joy. And obviously the older brother is watching, but that son turns and comes back to his father. And what does he receive? He receives graciousness. He receives a father who clothes him again, protects him from the potential abuse and beating that the slaves around him could have given him the rejection. He deserved the shame. He deserved the father covers him. Why? Because he is gracious in my sonship. I'm a failure and have been a failure so many times as a son of the living God. I have made so many promises to God over the many years that I've walked with God, my Father. And every time I come back to Him, He shows me grace. He's gracious in my sonship. It's a challenge to my parenting. It's a challenge to my understanding of walking with people who let me down. It's a challenge to being human. Why? Because my journey is to be more like Him. He is gracious in my sonship. And lastly, in the midst of Corona and the challenges and all the promises that people stood in the John 10, 10 year that God has for us, God is gracious in my supply, or should I say God is gracious in His supply. And the best picture, the Old Testament, the, the Israelites are walking around. He's just set them free. They're not going, thank you for freedom. Thank you we don't get whipped every day. Thank you our children can't be killed for messing around. Thank you that we don't wake up and there's a grumpy slave master so that day he can take our lives. No, they walk around going, we want more food. We want water. And they are moaning and moaning. And what does God do? God brings water from a stone twice. God brings food every day, manna from heaven. I love this in Deuteronomy 29 verse 5. Yet the Lord says, During the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did, your sand, nor did the sandals on your feet. I love in Paul the apostle after the church in Philippi. I've helped him in Philippians 4 verse 19. And I realize we're jumping around a bit today, but I want to reveal God to you from all over his scripture. Philippians 4 verse 19. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I love that promise because just before it, Philippians 4 verse 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
See, we've got to get rid of the anxious. We've got to get, and then we've got to trust in the supply of heaven over our lives. Why? Because I'm, he's been gracious to me in my sin. It's not about what I deserve. It's about what Jesus deserves. I get that. He's been gracious in my sonship. He treats me like a child of heaven when I don't deserve it. And he's gracious in his supply. Why? Because he supplies all things. No, not all wishes, all things that his children need in these times. You see, we got to know who our supplier is. And I'm not talking about business. Because the enemy can also supply. Oh, Mark, what are you talking about? Well, I think the enemy supplied a Delilah to Samson. I think the enemy supplied a Bathsheba on a, on a, on a balcony to a David. I think the enemy supplied an apple for Eve. The enemy can supply. Who's your supplier? Who's your trust in for your supplier? Where do you go for your supply? Who's your resourcer for your soul, your reality, your family, your future? The Bible says God is a great supply. By the grace of God over the years and the privilege of having worked for many years, my kids have never gone hungry for lack of ability to feed them. But here's the amazing thing when they do get hungry. It doesn't stop them begging for food and, and acting like they haven't had food before and acting like dad's let them down before. And we do the same thing as the children of God. God has been gracious. He's taken us out of slavery. We become stiff-necked. I'm not moving that way because that way we'll demand something of it. And God says, no, I am the God who is gracious. I am gracious in your sin. I'm gracious in your sonship and I'm gracious in your supply. So God just three ways in which God has revealed His graciousness to me and His grace maybe to you. In your sin, in your sonship, in your supply. See, God, what I love about this 3,000-year-old prayer is that God initiated. I don't have to beg for it. I don't have to put a plan on the table. As so often my 11-year-old son Judah comes to me, he says, Dad, I've got a plan how we can do this. I'm like, I don't need a plan, but I'm your dad. The other day, my little boy, Daniel, came to me, Dad, can I get this game? And can I? And I, he said, I'll pay a little bit. I'm like, you don't have to pay. I'll pay. He says, really? He said, yes. So I'm your dad. And I love you. So maybe I've left it to the last, but the why of all of us. Why and how could God be gracious? I love this song. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. How can God, perfect, righteous, holy God, turn His face towards you, pour His blessing upon you, and be gracious to you, because he had to turn his face away from his son. Because his son took our sin upon him. The mocking voices shouting. 
His dying breath poured out. And there's no boast in us because the only boast that is in my life and the only reason I have the gracious hand and life of God in my life is because of one. And His name is Jesus. Can we close our eyes? The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. If you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you, you need Jesus because a sacrifice had to be made for your sin and my sin and Jesus paid the price. So today, receive the life that is in Jesus. Maybe you're struggling to receive the gracious hand upon of God upon your life. Receive it today because God is gracious and He loves you. Thank you so much. Continue to delve into the Word. Let's trust God for every miracle He has for us.